Hey, this is David Pryor. Welcome to The Reluctant Agilist. Today, I'm here with Marty Bradley. Marty, thank you for making time for this. Hey, Dave. Thanks. It's always fun to talk to you, man. And I'm super excited. I mean, I, I agree. It's always fun talking, but I'm super excited because we're going to talk about AI and you actually seem to really deeply know what you're talking about. And there's even a story that goes along with how you found your way into the depths of this thing. Um, so that's where we're going to go with this conversation. And I think if you're listening, you're going to hear a lot of really interesting things and see real life examples of how Marty's been able to use this stuff and is pushing it even further. Um, but before we do that, how do you explain to people like your, your background and what you do? Um, yeah, actually, that's a great question, right? So my background shifts a lot more uh, to what, what, what I've needed lately, right? So, you know, I started out as a technologist, software developer, architect, you know, that whole technology path up to vice president, CTO, had a small startup in the 90s when people were giving money away. Um, and then, um, and then uh, through that startup, what happened was, was that I, I did everything with, um, you know, um, of course, with Agile, it was all basically yeah. uh, XP, extreme programming, things like that. And and so what happened was uh, after after my startup got sold, all these uh, people that I tried to sell the product to before actually were calling me not because they wanted the product, because they wanted to understand how I was building the product. Right. Okay. I was able to as they were talking to me, I would call the team and we put features in like constantly, like daily. We were we were creating and it was back in the day when you created CDs. So we'd overnight a CD to them and they were like, hey, that's really cool. Uh, when can I have it? I'm like, you're holding it, man. And they're like, how did you do that? And and what that did was it led me into doing agile transformation. So I turned into an agile coach and um eventually just did more and more coaching and bigger and bigger transformation. So the last half of my life has been all agile transformation. All right. So Thank it's been you. a lot of fun. Um, and so I'm going to, I'm going to tell part of Marty's story now and I'm going to say it the way that it rolled out in my head originally and how it's completely changed in my head. So last year, Marty wrote a book and I know that the way Marty wrote the book utilized some software and I know that some of the content was generated by the software, or at least that was my, that you explained it to me differently, but that was how I originally kind of heard what was happening, which I think doesn't do justice to what actually took place. But this was way before chat GPT or any of that stuff. And it was something that was starting to come up. And I would hear stories about people using these tools to generate the content. And there was a part of me that felt like, but that's not fair. If you're going to write it, you have to suffer through every single word and sentence. Um, but you were suffering in a completely different way. So can you talk about Jasper and how you used it and the, and how my interpretation was like way off base of what actually happened? Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I use this software called Jasper AI. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. And what it is, is it was before ChatGTP came out, but it used a large language model behind it. And the intent was for uh, marketing, right? There were a lot of marketing copywriters using the software. And um, this is, God, like two years ago, year and a half yeah. ago. And, and, and so what ends up happening is, is that Jasper, while it didn't have an uh, API, it had what it called, basically it was like a command line interface. If you remember the DOS days, you could type something and ask it to do something and it would respond to you. And, and so you couldn't, you could say to it, write, give me, uh, give me an outline for a book in agile. Mm -hmm. Now, 
it's been trained on the internet, right? So it'll come out with, you know, Agile Fundamental, but blah, blah, blah. it'll come out with 10 chapters that seem reasonable for an Agile book. Now, the thing is, is that that's not a very interesting book, right? There are a lot of people, there's stuff, you can just grab stuff off the internet for that. So if you want to write a book, what do you have? You have some sort of a premise, you have an idea of, of, of what the message is that you want to get across in the book. The AI doesn't understand that. So you basically have to pair with the AI tool to, to get what you want, right? So for example, um, you have to go in and say, I want to write, I want to write a book around agile and how you need to, um, frame the conversation in large organizations to get them to understand that dependencies are part of their blah, blah, blah. And you give it some sort of overall context. And then, then you can have it generate some ideas. So what it does is if it, it gets rid of writer's block more than anything else. And okay. so now that it's gotten rid of your writer's block and it, ha- it gives you a little bit of a start, now you can go in and you can write what, what you've been thinking, like the thoughts in your head, right? So it really helps you kind of organize your thoughts. And then, um, and then it's a process of like you would go through with an editor, right? So you write a chapter, send it to an editor. They look at it. They say, wow, this isn't really clear here, blah, blah, blah. And, and so I would use that in conjunction with another tool that's got AI in the background called Grammarly. And so Grammarly would look I, at and it. That's, and, but hold on a second, because that yeah. every, we all use Grammarly. Yeah. And I think that that is a great example of how this stuff is subtly working its way into our workflow. Exactly. Right. So if you think about uh, like, so think about it in its simplest form. If you write an email or a paragraph and Grammarly helps you reword it so that Mm -hmm. it's clear. Right. The thing I do a lot is say this two sentences after I mentioned something and it's that this may be unclear. Right. So, you know, give it more context. Well, that's basically what Jasper was doing for me as I wrote the book. Right. And, And so then what would happen is, is that if other people read it, they're like, well, you didn't give any lead in to this next thing that's very complicated. Well, the AI is not going to understand that. Right. right. So you have to you have to direct the AI to get the output that you want. Right. There's this term now that you hear. Are you familiar with the term prompt engineering? No. Okay, so prompt engineering, if you Google it, it's starting to show up more and more. There are actually even a couple of jobs. And I think this is going to become a job that people are going to, if, if you like doing um, uh, analysis and kind of research and you really want to get into whatever your domain is, whether it's healthcare, agile, whatever, yeah. start looking into prompt engineering. What it does is it helps you deconstruct a request to send to um, an AI engine, right? So, for example... Okay. If I want to say to um, like just straight chat DP, chat, chat GTP, if I just want to say, hey, write an epic brief about um, uh, this healthcare, you know, I want free prescription drug um, okay. stuff. Whatever. Yeah. And um, but what you would do if you just ask it that it gives it it's kind of generic. Right. So it gives it has this broad base of knowledge. So what you want to do is you, you want to start narrowing the engine a little bit, almost like narrowing, narrowing a search. So you would start off with something like, I want you to act as a product manager, management expert. You're a product management expert. Okay. I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to respond step by step on how you would write this epic brief. Yeah. Do you understand? And it'll say, it'll come back, typically say, yes, I understand. 
what's your question? Or what do you want to write an epic brief on? And you would give it the, the highlight. And so, it would then go. go ahead. Okay, you finish your, finish your thought. Well, so that's, that's a very simple example of a prompt. Some prompts okay. can get a lot more complicated, right? You can give it a prompt, and then you want it to come out in a very specific structure. So one of the examples I used, even in Jasper, is a problem statement. And a problem statement has a very specific structure. It says the problem is affects, but, but, and it's got a framework, right? Okay. So you can ask it a question and they say, respond in this format and you can give it the format and, and leave it empty, uh, leave some variable spaces yeah, in yeah. there and it can figure out based on what it is you gave it and the format that you want to write. And the next thing you know, you have a well-structured problem statement. Now, can't validate that that's the right problem statement, but it can structure it the right way. Okay. So right. you mentioned before we started that you were pairing with the AI, which I thought was a really interesting way of thinking about it. And there's this other part of me that's thinking it's almost like you're playing like the way you would play an instrument. Or like if, if you had one of those original drum machines, people had to learn how to use that drum machine to make it actually sound like drums. Yeah. And you're learning how to create queries and structure things to get the AI to give you what you need. But then it still requires a human element. There's still got to be that review of the content so that you can inspect and adapt how you're creating the queries, right? Exactly, right? And then you have to remember that what, how, did it, how did it learn, right? It learned from trolling the internet. Yeah. So there's a lot of misinformation or anti-patterns that, that exist, right? So yeah. how, how do you, when you get a response, right, even now, if you go to ChatGTP yeah. and ask it something, it'll respond. Is that response good or not? Is it well, valid? I have a great example. I went into ChatGPT and I said, write me a Taylor Swift song about bacon. And it was terrible. And I also had it give me uh, instructions for value stream mapping written by Raymond Chandler. And they were not very usable either. This is just a fun game. But with what you're saying, if I had kept after it and kept refining the way I was asking it, then maybe it would, I would get something that was more useful. Exactly. So then if, 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 um, if you think about where we are with AI today, the thing that's going to make AI good for an industry-specific area, for example, Agile, yeah. is to fine-tune the, the large language model for that specific domain, right? So what you could do is you can take um, a specific knowledge or scenario. So let's, let's say you take like anti-pattern and pattern. And you come up with about 200 examples, anti-pattern and, and the right way to do it, anti-pattern, right way to do it, do, 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 down the road. Like, now, you, like you how to write a good user story. Good, bad, yeah. good, bad, good, bad. Okay. Yeah. And so what you can then do is then you can basically enhance, it's called fine-tuning, you can fine-tune the language model. Okay. And so now when you go in, it still has, it's not like you you can't retune everything, right? Because the amount of money that it costs to do what, um, well, now AI the amount did. of money that it costs, but but ten ten years from now it won't be a thing at all, probably. Well, what it is is that it's it's like um, it, it's like if you're familiar with object oriented, um, it, mm -hmm. it's like extending it's like extending an object, right? So mm -hmm. so you write your method, but because you extended this class, you can you can do a bunch of other stuff that it already did. So yeah. with 
So think about the fine tuning of the AI the same way. So now what I can do is I can kind of narrow how it thinks about a good user story. It still has the information, the other information, right? So if I yeah. miss something, so it's still not perfect, right? It's not going to always, but, but you can help it. You can kind of lead it the right way. Okay. Right. And, and so that's where, that's where the money is. If you want to get into AI is you need to be looking at these little, I mean, legal healthcare, yeah. whatever, right. You want to, you want to fine tune the, the back end. It kind of makes me feel like we're all walking around with slide rules and somebody just invented the computer. Like, um, I, we have jobs right now, but <laughs> 10 years well, from now, we're going to be like, back in my day. No, yeah. Well, we are going to be saying back in my day, but think about how much, think about how much work the typical product manager, product owner, like just well, the business analyst job is going to blow, either change or blow up one of the two. Um, I th- blow up in a bad way or in a good way? Well, I think it'll have to definitely shift. There will still need to be human interaction collecting information and somebody's got to feed it into the system. But the BA, the BA's brain does not have to be the thing that generates all the requirements anymore. They've got this system to work with. They have to train. Well, th- yeah. And think about think about where we spend our time. We spend our time so much during the day being busy that mm-hmm. we can't use our slack time to invent, right? So if we focus on the fact that, hey, if we let the AI assist us and help us, it's going to free us up to do the stuff that we just can't get to today, mm-hmm. right? Like, like for example, you know, I'm, I'm working on this learning platform and I beat my head over how to basically encompass a chat and basically make it a community. Well, If I didn't have time to just sit down and think about that, Mm -hmm. I'd be jamming things together and you'd end up getting this patchwork of design. But if I have other things taking care of the day to day, like, so for example, I need to write an epic brief. Well, Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it's just hard to write the the problem description or whatever. And I'm not saying you want to do this in isolation, but you want to get to an epic brief that other people understand, right? So the faster you can get to that and get other people involved, the quicker you can iterate on it, right? Yeah. So, and that iteration is human interaction, right? Because you know, people are talking about if 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 you hear this, and and maybe maybe I'm still a neophyte, right? So maybe this is true. But people are like, hey, AI can create your website. The websites they're talking about are pages, right? Like five pages with a you know a landing page, a, a, like a footer, blah blah blah. Sure, it's all kind of text based. But in order to build like an application, you need to understand how humans going to want to interact with that. And and so I couldn't sit down. Maybe it's possible. I haven't seen right. it. And sit down and tell the AI, say, I want you to write a um, an a generative AI application that teaches people all about the legal system and can help answer their questions whenever they have them so that they can come into a platform and not have to ever leave that platform and be able to do all their research inside of that. Go build that yeah. website. It's not going to be able to do it. Right. It's, that, it's yeah. that kind of cognitive thought needs to be 
a person trying to understand and bring I mean, even stuff as simple as go look at all my different calendars and just make one freaking calendar so I don't have to keep <laughs> logging into nine different accounts to figure out what I'm supposed to do today. I mean, yeah. that seems like a really basic rudimentary thing that none of us are able to do. And maybe systems like this will carve out that amount of time, which, like you said, gives us more brain time to think about creating really well, viral TikTok videos. And well, and that's the thing is, yeah. Well, <laughs> if we use know, the time wisely, that's the that's the trick. Well, you know, that's always the the problem, right? <laughs> to use yeah. that free time for good or evil, right? So, yeah. um, which is always which is always interesting, <laughs> and I don't always make that correct choice, by the way. So, as somebody who's been doing this stuff for a while, like I mean, you've been you've been C level, you've been done coaching, you've coached executives, things like that. For somebody at your point in your career. What does this open up for you? Well, what what I'm working on now is, you know, I had this I had this problem before, right? So when we when we were doing our transformations, and you know, everybody sees this, you know, you go into a large organization, they want to do a transformation. You go in and you look at a slice because it's the right mm -hmm. way to do it. You find a slice and you prove out the methodology, right? You should explain what you mean by a slice. I don't think. Yeah. Is. So you, you, you want to pick a, a small portion of the organization, some uh, value, some, something that's going to deliver some value. And they use the Dunbar's number, usually up to about 150 people might be four or five teams with some dependent, um, um, bus business, uh, capability, and th they're threading it together to solve a problem. And they can right? produce so, something end to end on their own, like the whole value. Stream. Yeah. Yeah, they call it yeah. a value team, value stream. I was trying to avoid saying value stream because it's so overloaded, but you're right. Yeah. Um, probably be less complicated if I just go ahead and use the words. So something like a value stream. And so what we typically see happen is you go in and you start working on it. And it, and it always seems to me to be around the six-week mark. I don't know if it's just me or whatever, but around the six to eight-week mark, it's starting to work. And mm. people are seeing it. So what do they want to do? They all of a sudden want to go wide and run it across your organization. Well, there are a bunch of, there are a few problems with that, right? One of them is usually not enough coaches to go that wide that fast. Mm -hmm. And you need coaches to guide people through it because again, what you're looking at is there's a lot of information and a lot of knowledge, but what you're doing in an organization is you have to pragmatically modify whatever you've learned, right? Okay. Whether it's safe or scrum or whatever, right? That you follow the rules of the framework, but you have to modify <coughs> it to fit into your organization. And sometimes modifying it means that maybe you're not as agile as, as pure agile, but because of the way the organization your exists, that's good right. enough for now, right? So, so that's cool. And you got that 150 person thing moving along. And now the rest of the organization wants to go. Mm -hmm. So the problem we've always had is, is that even if you could hire enough coaches, it gets costs of exorbitant, right? And then the problem that happens is that people then start to go out and get, they kind of cobble together their agile training. Their own teams, yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, you have a product, you, know, you have different people, which is, again, you know, go learn. I'm not trying to stop people from learning. I yeah, don't hate yeah. certifications, but the problem is, is they're learning everything out of context of how it's happening in the transformation. Mm -hmm. So, so that, that's a problem, right? So that's problem one. The other problem is, is like, let's say you do bring in new coaches. They know 
whatever their brand of agile and they have their opinions, which are all cool. But if you're trying to take a group of people and move them together, you need to, you need to stay close to what the methodology is. And then if there's something you want to change in, in how you're implementing in a certain organization, then you need to have a conversation about it. Right? So the question is, is how do you, how do you pragmatically train everybody across the organization? Right? So, you know, so I'm sitting here trying to think, how would I, how would I solve this problem? Right? So I started heading down this path of uh, learning management system. Well, Mm -hmm. any, any learning management system in today's day and age has got to be bound inside of a community, right? Mm-hmm. There needs to be a community framework so that while people are working, they can ask questions of the people that are going through the transformation, yep. right? Saying, hey, you know, I'm getting ready to take this course because of, hey, you know what? We had this other course that we curated because they came in and they modified it for the way we're doing things. You should take this course instead. Cool. Yeah. Just save some people a bunch of money and now we're going to the thing. So that that's good, right? So, so you have this and then what you need to do is go, okay, that's cool. They know stuff, but people don't need to know stuff. They need to do stuff. So what's the next evolution of that? The next evolution of that is something called scenario-based learning. So what you do is you give people some knowledge or you just throw them into a scenario in a safe environment, right? They're sitting at their laptop and, and they're going yeah. through a scenario and it walks them through. These are the type of decision that might happen as a scrum master. What, what do you do when your manager comes and tries to stick work into a sprint? Yeah. Okay. Well, they're my manager. So I try to find a way. So I get everybody together and I talk about it and the team agrees that we could probably get the work done. Well, guess what? At the end of the sprint, you got this thing done, but you didn't get the stuff done that you promised to your product owner. So what does that do? Deteriorates trust. Was it really worth it? Blah, 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 blah. Right. Yeah. Well, if you could run through that scenario in 15 minutes and so that the, the scrum master can, can go down different paths and see what happens during each path, not be negative, not say, Hey, you made a bad decision, but just say, Hey, yeah. this is, this is a result of this decision. Well, now they're armed with this scenario. So when their manager comes and asks them, they can say, um, I understand what you're asking, but these are the kind of things that could happen if we stick this in the middle of the sprint. Can it wait? Right. And so now they have some language to use and a scenario to describe to somebody else. So now they're applying their knowledge and not just regurgitating a a rule like, hey, you know, in a sprint, we're not allowed to add new user stories. Right. Mm -hmm. It's very off putting. People don't like to talk to each other like that. And they really hate talking to their manager like that. Right. And, And so there's there's a number of these things. Um, so if, if we can, if we can move that kind of information across the organization and then just think about if you can kind of power that with an AI engine that, that tutors them along, right? So for example, if I'm a scrum master and the AI engine knows I'm a scrum master, it can suggest the type of training that I might want to take. Right. And then it can also pair with me to create user stories or create acceptance criteria or whatever. So when did you I kind of drift talking, all the way from the original question or what? Well, no, it, it actually, I was drifting too, because I was thinking about something when you started to talk about this in the very beginning about, um, giving it commands, I was thinking about those games back at like the dawn of computers where you'd have those text-based games. You'd say like, go look treasure chest, open treasure chest, go East, you know, to find around the room. 
And that's kind of the same thing you're talking about now, only in a more advanced way where it's like, I'm a scrum master, stakeholder interrupts my daily scrum. What do I do? Do I kick them out? Do I get myself fired? Like, but you, but the scenario based learning is, is still situational. It's just the system has more data and can probably do a better job educating. And I think that would be a lot more engaging for me than watching some video head saying like, okay, here's what's going to happen. Cause I mean, we're well, all making training videos and they're all kind of boring. I mean, there's no yeah, way around that. Well, and think, well, and think about the way, especially, you know, I've seen you run your training classes, right? And what do you do? You give I them some information the and then you put them in a scenario and you, and you help them through solving the problem or you give them an example of mm-hmm. something that you've seen over and over again. Right. And, yeah. and so the thing is, is that in light of, and, and uh, like, I'd argue that in-person training is the best. Yeah. But what if you can't do that or how do you augment that? Right. Well, or what if I'm an executive who needs coaching because I need to know the damage I'm causing by my be- my actions, but I don't want to expose that to the rest of the organization. I get your system. I can say, well, I think I'm going to push this into the teams. What's going to happen? <laughs> you know, yep. What's it going to do to the headcount? Well, five people are probably going to quit because they're so pissed off because it's the fifth time you did this. Um, it can give somebody they're almost like precogs. It can tell you like, you're going to do this thing. Here are the things that are going to happen afterwards. Do you really want to go do that? Or do we need to send Tom Cruise in here to put an end to you before you cause more damage? Yeah. Yeah. I like the precog. I'll have to write that down, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but exactly. Right. Cause well, what, what is it that they, I, I mean, honestly, when they're, when we're coaching, that's what people mm-hmm. are paying us for. Yeah, they're paying us to to point out these things that are going to happen to them, right? Not tell them, hey, don't do that. Um, in some cases, you know, we have to turn into a consultant and say, don't do that. But in most of the cases, what we're trying to do is coach them through making these decisions. And mm-hmm. how do we do that? You know, the, those of us that have been around a while, we provide these scenarios and say, hey, look, these are the kind of things that I've seen happen when yeah. you do that kind of stuff. Not saying don't do it, but but think about the consequences. If they want to override it, great. We'll deal with the consequences. But the, these are the things that that we need to to get to people, yeah. and it's and you can only get it from industry experts, right? People that have been through the process. You don't, you can't. It's hard to learn that from a book, right? You don't see that. Um, yeah, it, a lot of times you have to live it. So I was thinking, uh, two two points I want to make. One is when you were just talking about that, I was thinking this would defeat the problem I have as a coach, because as a coach, I know that I'm supposed to be, you know, not biased, not have a a dog in the fight, but I know that I can only watch people do stuff wrong so many times. And I'm just like, stop it. You know, like I can't help it. This wouldn't do this would, I'm thinking originally this would allow the coach to be completely kind of not having an opinion about stuff, but then I'm thinking, but you know, all the people that create it, their bias is going to be built into the code. And then we're going to need people who can start to filter that out. So there's like well, maybe think, two think layers about of it. jobs coming. And think about it even further, right? Is that, so let's say you do a training or you watch somebody and they do this on a regular basis. If, if you have this scenario-based concept in your pocket and a simple kind of like a drip campaign as part mm-hmm. of the training is you can take these things that, cause even if you've said that and somebody can misinterpret 
what you said to them, right? I see this all the time. And I wonder, it's like, wow, I, I think I explained this to them. And, but the problem is, is that, you know, people, they hear things and then they get in the situation and they make decisions. Sometimes they're not exactly sure why they made the decision, right? And, mm-hmm. and so if you think about, if you can send these scenarios in an email a couple of times, especially at the beginning, maybe you're sending like what, a couple times a week and it basically reminds them of this scenario. So now it's top of mind again and they're making the decision again. They're like, okay, okay, okay. So now what, what it does is it enhances your ability to train and then go, okay, what are the kind of things that I usually get questions about after the training? What are the type of things oh God, that I know yeah. people run into over and over what again? What are the questions I'm tired of answering over and over and over again? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because now you don't have to sound like you're annoyed by it unless yeah. you write that in the email, which is what I have a tendency to do, which is bad. Don't do okay. that. <laughs> so the, the one thing that I really would like this pro- this stuff to be able to solve that it doesn't sound like, at least for the foreseeable future, it's going to be able to do. You, you mentioned doing transformation in an organization and going from one slice to like a whole bunch of slices and how that it fractures, like it just breaks down. One thing that I always think about is like as an an organization can only handle so much change at one time before it's like the rubber band snaps and everybody goes fully back to what they were doing before. I would love for a system to be able to look at certain data points and tell me like, okay, you're right on the edge. If you introduce one more new thing, it's all going to collapse. Um, but we would have to figure out what metrics tell us that that's happening and then maybe a system could predict things like that too. Yeah, I mean, I think, I I think that's, I think there are analytic engines that could mm-hmm. kind of sort of do that now, but you'd have to collect the right data, right? I yeah. almost think that something as simple as um, employee net promoter score, where you're asking questions about, you know, not like this, but are you ready to jump off the roof? Okay, maybe we better back down a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but my thing is, is that I think part of the problem I have is I thrive in change. So like this whole kind of change fatigue to me, I'm like, I don't get it. (laughs) You know, if you're making things better, why is that bad? Right now, I think, I think the problem that I, and I'm not denying change fatigue. No, that's really, I've never heard anybody say that before. That's really interesting. Oh, Um, so you have stasis fatigue then if it's still too long, you're like, "Ah." (laughs) yeah, well, the thing is, is that I, I think just like, just like with AI coming in and people being, if people are worried about it, it's mm-hmm. the same thing I used to tell people inside of transformation that they're like, well, what about my job? I'm like, look, when change happens, gaps occur. Mm-hmm. And, and so what you need to do is not put your head down and hide from the change. You need to keep your head up and embrace it and fill the gap. Fill the gap that you want to fill because that's going to be your next job, right? So be the help with the change help understand where the gaps are. And, and sometimes it's an, an uncomfortable place, right? Because maybe the gap is that we can't go that fast in this area because these guys are so tightly bound in the technology that if we do yeah. that, all we're going to do is make it take longer, wow. right? And, and so, so, but you have to be paying attention and you have to not, if, if, if you're seen as a detractor the whole time, yeah, you can't look when away. you do see that, make that statement, everybody's going to be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Marty didn't want the transformation to happen anyway. He's just going to complain about everything. Blah, 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 right. Blah, blah, blah. This is fascinating. So you've actually brought hope. Everybody's <laughs> talking about the doom that AI is going to, you know, create Skynet and we're going to all die. Um, but you 
this is actually really cool and exciting thing to be kind of embracing and preparing for. I, I think I I think if you like your job that you the parts of your job that you like and love yeah are going to be there and you can offload the stuff that you don't like to the AI as it grows and gets better, right? Okay. Um th- it's not it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve everybody's problem, right? Um, there's and and in our industry specifically, right? We're knowledge workers. Right? We're we're moving an organization to a place. We're trying to make sure that the that we're building the things that the strategy and the objective and the out, and the business outcomes that it all aligns to that. Okay. And the AI isn't necessarily going to understand that, right? So. Right your job is to go, okay, what are our objectives? How are we going to get to those key results? How are we going to implement that? Let's go do that. Let's measure that against our objectives and our outcomes and let AI assist us, right? Let AI help us write the artifacts. Let AI help us eventually do some analysis. Right now with a large language model, it's, it's not doing analysis for you, right? It's, it's, it's helping you, it's helping you reword your thoughts or to get your thoughts down on paper. Yeah, there was a, I listened to a podcast the other day with uh, Lori Anderson and she was talking about, she's a, a musician, um, how this place, I think it was in New Zealand had taken three different translations of the Bible. Like it was like Greek and Hebrew. And I don't remember what the other one was and everything she'd ever written or recorded and put it all into the system and sent her a version of the Bible written by her. <laughs> Which, I mean, kind of a cool parlor trick, but you could take it, the different voicings, all that stuff is possible if you can put the right information into it. Yeah, and I think it's the responsibility of the person that's going to put their name on it to review that material and make make sure sure it actually um, represents their point of view. Yeah. This is awesome. All right, so... Your book is called Reframe Executive Guide to Business Agility. People can get that on Amazon or if they still go to bookstores, they could probably maybe get it in a bookstore too. Um, but what if they listen to this and they're like, damn, I got to talk to Marty. How are they going to get in touch with you? All right. Well, there's two things. One is um, www.evergreen.agile.com. Uh, you can go there and sign up and get on the wait list for the platform. Platform is going to be out in, in probably early part of May. And, um, or you can just send me an email directly, uh, marty.bradley at bciconsultants.com or LinkedIn is always a great way to find me. Just come into LinkedIn, send me a message. Or tell your AI to go find Marty. (laughs) Tell your AI to send me an email. (laughs) Call my AI. (laughs) Cool. I am, I really appreciate you taking time out for this and I mean, a lot of people are talking about this. You said you're not an expert, but you have more expertise than anybody I've talked to about this stuff. So, Well, thanks, man. Um, thanks for making time for it. If you like what you heard, 